We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up? Welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast, where the only thing we love more than watching football is what we drink while watching football. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And we have a rule on this show where every single episode we begin by saying what we're drinking. I myself have a beautiful Highland Park 18 right in front of me right now. It is the first time I've ever had it, and I'm kicking myself for not having it before because it is amazing. I mean, the nose on this thing is just incredible. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had it, but if you're a Highland Park fan, get the 18 because it's amazing. Uh, but with EJ, you're here, wonderful co-host. As I mentioned before, how are you? What are you drinking? And what are we talking about tonight? I am just fine because I get to talk football. It's draft time, and I have a very nice Canadian, which is the Pendleton Midnight. I tend to like Pendleton as a nice little bourbon by itself. But the Midnight is just a little bit more aged in uh, brandy casks, so it's got a little bit of a caramel finish to it. Makes it even better than Pendleton. And that is just perfect because we are talking about things that are pretty darn sweet, and we're going to dive into the wide receiver class of the 2020 draft. And there are so many flavors in there. It doesn't matter whether you like scotch, Irish, Canadian, um, <laughs> any note you want is is in there speed height hands route running ability there's just so many uh receivers that have all of those traits that to me and to you it's just like candy yeah i think uh i think people kind of talk about oh there's like a hard ranking of like this guy's better than this guy this guy's better than that guy it's like well for certain teams maybe but I think the the actual rankings of these receivers are going to kind of go out the window because they all fit different offenses better or worse than each other just based on skill set. You know, like there there's certain teams that's really they're they're more looking for speed. There's guys that are looking for size. There's teams that are looking for just a, a straight up route runner that can catch and and make tough catches and move the chains on third and seven. You know, Buffalo needs size. Chicago needs speed. Like, there's there's different needs for every single team. So I don't think it's so black and white about certain receivers being better than others. And that's why I think, you know, when you see where these guys start flying off the board, don't necessarily pay attention to what order they go off the board. Just pay attention to the fit because the fit is really going to determine what makes it a good pick or, or a good value. Yeah, even more so than typical years, because we were talking about this earlier before we started recording, the idea that um, if you have a need, there's not just one guy that fits the need in the draft this year. Sometimes, look, you need that little speedster with hands that can spread the top of the defense, really open up your offense. 
there might be one guy in the first three rounds that you'd go after. Now there's two guys that are pretty much identical. We've got KJ Hamler from Penn State. We've got Jalen Rager from TCU. They're not identical players, but they fill a very similar niche need. They're both really solid players. One could go a full round higher than the other because once the first team picks the little, you know, top taker speed guy off the board, then that's one more team that doesn't need him. Doesn't mean KJ Hamler is a round worse player than Jalen Rager. Just means that once you fill that need, uh, it really is sort of buyer's choice for the rest of the draft. And that goes for every class of receiver. And like I said at the top, there are so many classes, so many skills, and just frankly, so many guys that the order is going to get a little bit shuffled and i love your idea of concentrate on the fit not when the player went yeah i mean i i almost feel bad for for some of these guys because i feel like they're gonna get uh totally forgotten about come august and training camp and everything like that when we look at like oh who's your you know early rookie of the year pick there's literally two dozen guys that i could throw up at receiver that depending on where they go could all be 700 800 plus yard receivers like literally two dozen of them. I don't remember that that ever happening before, but it depends on where they go. You know, God forbid a guy like Kyle Shanahan get his hands on KJ Hamler or Andy Reid. Like he would absolutely destroy defenses just with with his acceleration. But you could say the same thing about Jalen Rager. And if one of them goes to a team that won't use him, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. <laughs> it just means he got unlucky with where he got drafted. Say the same thing about Rugs and Judy, CD, T. It's just. It almost our grades almost don't matter. It really just matters where they go. And uh, there's a lot of careers that we look at, even in the league today. Uh, Devontae Parker having a renaissance in Miami, Perriman showing some things in Tampa where people labeled them as busts. And it's like maybe they weren't busts. Maybe the situation just wasn't correct. And so I, I think even just when looking at this, the context of this wide receiver class, two, three, four years down the line. Just remember what they were in college, because even if they're not super productive because they go to the wrong situation, doesn't mean they're they're not the same player they were. It's just maybe some of them are going to need a second act to to really show what they can do. So I'm I'm super excited about this receiving class. I think there's at least 30 guys that you can be really excited about. Uh, I, I know specifically for like fantasy purposes, I probably won't be taking a whole lot of veteran receivers next year because there's so many rookies I'm so excited about. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I kind of want to get into a couple of them, though, um, specifically uh, when we talk about who we like more and who we like less than the general quote unquote consensus, who is a guy that you think you like more than everybody else? Yeah, this is a great topic and a way to break it down when there's just so many guys and so many skills and a guy that I'm higher on than probably most people is Mims out of Baylor. He had a great senior bowl, but even before that, he was sort of flashing as a speed guy that had some size and was getting open. That's enough in most receiver classes. He goes to the senior bowl. He shows great footwork. He destroys the defensive backs. I go back to the tape, and then I find out that he's an aggressive and physical blocker and has been pretty much throughout his whole time at Baylor. It's not something he tried to add to his resume just to make himself, quote unquote, more complete for the draft process. You start to put all that together. You got a guy that's well over six foot, showed great hands, dropped almost nothing during the senior bowl accelerates very, very quickly and then starts to show some, uh, I would say, route savvy, um, route polish to really 
take his physical gifts and leverage them with just a few key moves to give himself even more space. And now you've got a weapon. You've got a first round player, even in a stacked wide receiver group. And I don't think most people view Denzel Mims that way, but I do. And that makes me higher on him than most. The thing that I like about him, and you saw it, you saw it in some of the reps at the Senior Bowl, but even just going back to the, the actual game tape at Baylor, how he uses his hands and length to separate from a corner late in the route and, and just kind of give those little shoves, those little push-offs that technically, sure, they're offensive pass interference, but refs never throw the flag on him. But he kind of understands that. He understands that he's allowed to get physical with a DB that, that's really sticking on him. And I, I love the fact that he knows how to use his length to give him space for a catch at the exact moment that he needs to, whether he's kind of stabbing backwards to kind of give a little vertical separation on a go route, or if he's kind of throwing a DB to the side when he's trying to separate on an out. It just the little craftiness and the technique that he has with his hands, and he's so physical, uh, and, he, and he's so willing to kind of beat up smaller corners. I'm right there with you. I think he's a first-round player. I don't know if he's going to go in the first round just because of, A, positional importance and the depth of the receiver class, but if you're trying to make a list of the 32 best players in this class, it's hard to imagine Denzel Mims isn't on it. Yeah, I love the physicality you mentioned because a lot of times you get receivers of this build who are well over six foot tall, right around the 200 pound mark, just, just over maybe sometimes just under, they seem a little bit spindly. I don't want to say fragile because that's a different thing entirely, but they don't really seem sort of bent towards using their physical nature to get open, to block, to leverage open across the middle and really push on a route where they need to, you know, press through some, some feisty coverage. Mim showed all of that, like all three of those traits, and that's really exciting. You get a, you get a guy on top of that height, reach, speed, some route savvy, and now he shows you that he's physical, and that's it. I'm all in. So it is hard to imagine that he's not one of the top 32, 35 best players. Had a little interaction with a Twitter Twitter follower this morning and got a friendly bet going that he won't be on the board at pick 50, which is the Bears' second-round pick. I think he'll probably go before that. But again, if he doesn't, I wouldn't be terribly surprised because it just meant that the teams that needed receivers before that picked other flavors. And there are so many other flavors this year. Uh, he he kind of falls in line with the guy that I picked as like my one that I like more than everybody because they're both good at one thing that you really have to do if you want to be a starting receiver in the NFL, particularly a starting receiver outside the NFL, and that's get off press. My guy is Van Jefferson. Does it a little bit different than Mims. Mims is more physical. Jefferson's a better route runner. He's a technician at the line in the in the flavor of like a Keenan Allen type thing in terms of like super loose hips, quick feet. He'll throw five or six different releases at you over the course of seven to eight reps. So you don't really know what he's going to do off the line. Every single route looks both the same and different at the same time. Uh, he's probably the best route runner in this class, not named Jerry Judy. And you could kind of argue that he's really in the same class as Jerry Judy. I mean, he is a phenomenal technician. But he uses that technique to, to really just beat the crap out of press coverage uh, in the same way that Mims beats the crap out of press coverage. It, it, and that's really, if you want to be a starting X receiver, that's what you have to do because you're going to face a lot of press, especially if you're on an island. Uh, you know, if you're going in three-by-one sets or like those nub sets that coaches love these days, like, if you're alone on one side of the field, whether it's a zone call or a man call, you're going to be impressed. 
Absolutely. And you have to be able to beat that. So Jefferson's my guy. Again, he's not going to go in the first round. May not even go in the second round. Uh, You could maybe see him being like the, let's see, for me, I probably have him like ninth in terms of this receiving class. But just because he's ninth in this receiving class doesn't mean that in any other class he wouldn't be a top five receiver. So maybe he'll go later in the second, early third, but he is just an out-of-the-box starter, going to be productive immediately. I love almost everything about him. Uh, and, man, I, I can't speak highly. I'm probably higher on him than than most people are, but he's he's my guy this year. Yeah, he really showed me some things at the Senior Bowl. I hadn't paid much attention to him before the Senior Bowl. Knew he had size, um, knew he had some production, but he showed that technical route running prowess, especially in the first five yards, the ability to sort of step in the bucket, get DB's hips moving the wrong way, and then press them to the other side to really open up an advantage. Again, he's not a small receiver. He's well over six feet. And to be able to combine his physical gifts with that knowledge of I need to do this to break myself open. Uh, that was something I hadn't seen and definitely raised him up my list. I'm not as high on him as you are, but again, it's flavor of the week, flavor of the month could be flavor of the day. We could resort these receivers every day of the week and come up with a different order because you see something you like or some nitpick that you're going to worry about that you would only worry about in this class because there's 25 or 30 guys to worry about as opposed to eight or 10. Yeah. And I, I, I almost, I almost feel bad for Amari Cooper just because this is a terrible, terrible year to be a free agent receiver because you're going to find a guy who I don't want to say he's just as good, but he's pretty damn close and he's going to cost 15 million less. You know, yeah. it's, it's a bad and down year the board. I mean, Cooper at least has star power and production and a resume behind him. You get some of those middle of the road receivers. I mean, uh, Chicago just cut Taylor Gabriel like what kind of work is Taylor Gabriel going to find this year when there's 30 guys in the draft? That means that guys that are normally going to go in the third are going to go in the fifth. And, you know, they might be just as good as a guy that goes in the second in a typical year. Uh, If it's a low year for receiver, there's just an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. It really is. We've been describing it or I've been describing it as a historic class. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I can't remember this many talented receivers being in one class. And if you're in that sort of middle tier free agency uh, as an established pro that maybe had a bit of a down year or, or again, didn't mesh with a coaching staff, it's all about fit, no matter whether you're a draft pick or a free agent, you're going to have a tough time selling your shingle for any kind of money because a fifth round draft pick doesn't get paid anything. No. And if they're going to offer anywhere near similar production, it's going to be hard to get a sniff for those guys in the middle tiers of wide receiver free agency. Yeah, I mean, what would you rather do? Would you rather pay Taylor Gabriel even on a one-year deal or uh, draft KJ Hill? Like, it, it's not a, it's not even a discussion. You yeah, know, KJ I mean, Hill's from a go, team building perspective, yeah. yeah, there's only one answer to that question. You know, it's yeah, I feel bad for him, but. I do kind of want to talk a little bit about maybe some receivers that were lower on than everybody else and not necessarily saying they're bad players. That is not the the topic at hand here. We're not saying these guys are bad. What we're saying is maybe we have them much lower on our rankings than the general quote unquote consensus. For me, it's probably Edwards from South Carolina. Again, not saying he's a bad player. Uh, I like the build. I think his hands are good. 
athletically, though, I look at all these twitched up, just superstar track kind of athletes in this class. And then you look at how Edwards runs, and it's like, I, I can get a lot of guys that run good routes like him, that have good hands like him, that run way faster, that have more ability after the catch, that have return ability. And, and they're projected to go in, a, I don't want to say the same spot, but a similar spot. And when you compare his athleticism to a lot of the other guys in this class, it just moves him way down, which doesn't mean he's, he won't be a good value. I think he will be a good value, especially because apparently he's not going to get to run at the combine, which was the, the major question we had is how fast is he going to run? Um, but you're going to end up getting him probably later solely because there's so many other guys in this class that just have a lot more juice. So maybe I'm not as high on him as, as a lot of other people are just because of that reason. Yeah, I think Edwards is a classic case of a guy that's going to get lost in the wash because he's, again, good build, good routes, good hands, a decent speed. I'm not going to say great speed. We had questions about his speed, but it's not, he's certainly not pedestrian slow. In a regular year, this guy might be your 10th or 11th receiver. In this year, he might be your 23rd or 25th best receiver, and he's literally just going to get lost in the wash. So, again, I think your open was tremendous. He's not a bad player. Like, he could go, and again, if he fits with the situation, could be very productive right off the crack. It's not like, oh, well, he's got to do this or he's not going to play in the league. He could play in the league, and in the right spot, he could flourish. But there are so many guys that do one or two things better than him ahead of him in just this class as rookies that it's going to be very hard for him to get any piece of that spotlight. Yeah, and it's, again, it's unfortunate for him that he broke his foot before literally the most important part of the process for him, which is getting those athletic testing numbers out. It does kind of speak to why if you have an offer to go to the senior bowl you should go to the senior bowl because anything can happen between late january and late february if you get hurt and you turn down an opportunity to go to the senior bowl which he did all of a sudden you're turning down all those interview opportunities that he could have had you're turning down ability to show yourself against some pretty good dbs that we saw down in mobile live and you're you turn down an opportunity to show uh, what you can do in those man-to-man cover drills um i think that was a mistake by his camp to do that and remember, there's, I think, 15 fewer interviews that every team gets at the Combine this year because of the change in how they're scheduling it. Now it's in prime time. So teams, I think they're going from 60 down to 45 interviews, which means potentially he's getting left out of some teams that he didn't get to speak to at Mobile because he didn't go, and he won't get to speak to an Indy. So that's it, this has been a really rough start to the draft process for him. And again, he's a good guy. Uh, but if, if you're a prospect and you happen to ever be listening to this podcast, if you get invited to Mobile, go. It's important. You, you really don't know what's going to happen uh, if, if, between January and February. Anything can, and unfortunately for Edwards, anything did. Yeah, it's, it's lousy timing for him as a player, and, and we're going to be Jim Nagy's hype guys here for a minute that says, you know, take advantage of that opportunity for the reason you said. And, and most people aren't aware of that shift that um, the interview time has been cut down at Indy. And that was one of the things teams were most excited about that we talked to in Mobile is we are down here for the interviews. We are down here to maximize our time because we don't get as much in Indianapolis at the Combine. We're using sort of every minute. And we saw guys late into the night, 8, 30, 9, 30, even 10 o'clock at night, still doing testing, still doing interviews with teams. 
people don't sort of see that part of the process, the stuff on the field that makes the TV is, is what people concentrate on. But, you know, Edwards wasn't there. And it kind of reminds me of that time in college when you said, ah, I'll do my homework tomorrow. Right. And then you went out drinking and you got really sick and you woke up <laughs> the next day and thought I should have done my homework yesterday. Right. Cause now I'm out of time and I have an additional variable. That's not so great. Well, Edwards turns up with a break in his foot. Now he's not going to be able to run at the combine. He can still attend, but he's going to be left off some of those lists. And quite frankly, he's just going to drop off some boards in terms of not being not draftable, but we don't really have any information on this guy. We got tape. We didn't interview him. He didn't run. We don't have any measurables. Look at all these other guys. We're going to focus on those. And that's just human nature. It's unfortunate for him, but it's a good reminder to other prospects when that opportunity to go to Mobile pops up or any of the other all-star games for that matter. Go do it. Teams are there. They're uh, quite generous with their time. They're hungry for whatever information you can provide them to help fill out their sort of dossier on you. Take that opportunity because it's it's going to cost Brian Edwards this year. Yeah, and potentially a lot of money. A lot of money, unfortunately, yeah. for him. Uh, you know, I actually don't have it written down here. Who's who's your guy that you're lower on than most people? Yeah, and this is LaVisca Chanel from Colorado. And Chenault is a really interesting guy. He's more athlete than receiver, uh, but we've seen guys in the league succeed like that. He's powerfully built. He runs very suddenly. Uh, he's quite aggressive. He's not terribly polished as a receiver, and his game is really the sort of get him the ball any way you can as a playmaker in the short zone, anywhere out to about 10 or 12 yards, and let him sort of break a tackle and try and go 70 yards. One of them sort of most in a nutshell plays for Chenault on his tape is a, is a little, you know, five yard slant that he takes. He just beats the corner and goes straight for 74 yards because he can do it athletically where he's limited for me is down the field. He doesn't track the ball. Well, he's not a high pointer. Uh, he doesn't really understand how to play the deep ball. He sort of just lets it come to him. And obviously with aggressive defensive backs in D1, they're going to take that opportunity to go up, knock it away, get in between you and it. Um, he's not um, what I would call extremely nuanced as a route runner in terms of understanding where his route and other people's routes go. There's a couple of reps on his tape at Colorado where he actually runs into the other receiver on like a scissors route on the goal line. And the other thing is he's not a great hands catcher. He's more athlete than he is wide receiver. So he's a body catcher. He's physical and he gets away with it. But again, in this loaded class, it's a guy that's much more like uh, Cordell Patterson, who's got some tremendous physical gifts, but isn't a really nuanced wide receiver. And the NFL tried to make Patterson a straight wide receiver for a long time. And when he started to sort of get success is when they used him, when he went to the Patriots and they used him more as a gadget player, right? They used him in some sweeps, uh, some handoffs, some short pitches, some wildcat stuff. They used him as a special teamer. I think that's how Chenault's role could evolve in the NFL. But when you've got so many pure pass catchers with so many skills above him, I'm a little bit lower uh, on LaVisca Chenault than a lot of people. You know, while you were talking about it, I kind of just thought of where I want him to go just because I think it's going to take the right coach to kind of mold what he is into what he could be. And maybe I'm a little bit higher on his route running than you from an athletic standpoint. Like I see he's got loose hips, he sinks, his feet are quick, but maybe they're just not quite in control, especially when you look at guys like Van Jefferson and Judy and you're like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Maybe he hasn't totally harnessed his athletic ability in terms of the nuance of route running, but in terms of size, speed, weight, 
versatility as a ball carrier and receiver. I think of the New Orleans Saints, who we, we, we look at how they've used Taysom Hill, and they're banging the drum that Taysom's going to be the heir apparent at quarterback. That's fine. I don't agree with it, but if they want to try that, go ahead. They're still going to need that gadget guy. And I kind of feel like Chenault fits that role of like you get him a few carries, you get him some catch and runs, you throw him some screens, you you get him free on rub routes. Like, you know, everybody knows that Michael Thomas is going to get double covered anyway. Like, just get him the ball in space. And I feel like if there's any coach that can really make him work, because again, it's you're really banking more on the coach than the player here when it comes to a guy like Chenault. Man, I think he fits New Orleans like a glove. Yeah, there's a couple. I like that idea because, again, the coaching staff is creative and they can come up with some ways to make his gift work without trying to force him in, you know, square peg in a round hole. Two others that came to mind when you were talking about that Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia mm-hmm. runs quick zone, short, um, get the ball in the hands. They're short of playmakers right now in terms of their wide receiver core was extremely banged up. He doesn't give you that sort of all Sean like option of a, you know, deep ball, go up and get it wide receiver. That's more like a, a guy like T Higgins. But, you know, I really think that in terms of flexibility in coaching staffs, like Peterson and his staff find the way to adapt to a player's strengths almost better than anybody else in the league. So Philly's one, And then the other one that always is just sort of percolating in my mind when you've got some sort of creative offensive player is Cliff Kingsbury. Oh, yes. Put that guy in the desert and get him some touches. They've already got a guy a little bit like that, but not really like that. And he just adds another weapon, another wrinkle. You could use him in the running game. You could use him in the passing game. He's not a great runner, but again, you get him running in space. You get him more sweeps, not sort of between the tackles type running. And he's dangerous because as soon as he breaks a tackle, which he can do, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense with his athleticism. So a guy like Kingsbury or a coach like Peterson or Sean Payton, any of those guys are going to be able to sort of coax his gifts out and make him more valuable to the franchise than he would be in some places where they rigidly say, hey, you're going to go out, play the action. You've got to run the full tree. Dude, those those RPOs that Arizona runs where they have like if they get a two on two outside and they have the alert to bubble. Oh man! If you if you get a two on two with Chenault as the receiver on a bubble outside, and you're literally like if you're on the left hash and you're throwing to the right numbers, and you got all that space to work with, good night. I would love to see that. Yeah, but that's I'm, the highlight from his tape. That's yeah, the, that's that yeah. little short slant off the outside. Came underneath the guy that was on the slot, caught the ball, went straight up field, and it was over. Like it was over when he caught the ball, and I think he ran seventy four yards. Like, but there was nobody with him. He just as soon as he cleared his guy, that was it. So it's a five yard pass and a seventy yard run. And again, you know, this goes to show again, we talk about guys that we don't like as much as everybody else. We'll like him in the right fit. <laughs> yeah. That's the right fit. Absolutely. Oh man. Oh God, I really want to see that now. Not I mean they took a whole lot of receivers last year, but man, that that would be dynamic. Um, how about this? Who is like, you know, you're, it's 10 o'clock at night. You're going to go to bed in a half hour. Who's one guy you put on just to feel happy before you go to sleep? Like, who's your, your favorite guy to go to for that? Yeah, there's a lot of guys that I love in the wide receiver class like this. But if I'm looking for a little variety and, and maybe a flavor that most people aren't familiar with, 
I'm going with Brandon Ayuk for Arizona State. Mm, yeah. It's a freaky receiver in terms of a couple of things. One is physical dimensions. He's got extremely long arms. I think his wingspan is 88 inches, which is something like the arms that would be on somebody 6'8", and he's 5'11". He's just got these levers attached to him that are crazy. He knows how to use them. He's got good hands. He's pretty explosive. The thing I like the best about Ayuk in terms of what makes me giggle sort of watching those highlights before I go to bed is his competitiveness with the ball in his hands once he catches it. He does not want to go down. I don't think any offensive player wants to go down after they catch the ball, but he does more things about it than most of them and is able to break tackles, spin out of things, sort of fight and claw for every extra yard and ends up again, if he can break one tackle and he was one-on-one, look out, he's got the speed to convert that into a touchdown. And on top of that, every once in a while in his highlights are sprinkled in his, his special teams return highlights. And as a returner, Ayuk is one of the few guys, um, we watched another one yesterday and we'll have that for later, but uh, one of the few guys in this class, when you turn on his return highlights, they pop off the page. And look, as as a Chicago fan, as a guy that watched Devin Hester live, um, you know, you have to do some interesting things in the return game to impress me. And Ayuk is one of those guys that when he gets the ball, the stadium kind of holds their breath and maybe stands up a little bit or slides to the edge of their seat because magic can happen and he can do it. He knows how to press angles. Uh, he just has that knack for finding the crack and really exploiting it. And you combine those three things and he's a guy that's maybe not as high on everybody else's list, but again, he's going to help a team in multiple ways. He could help them on special teams right away as a rookie and as a third or fourth contributing receiver, he's going to break a couple. And to me, that makes him a guy that's, we'll just call him a popcorn receiver, right? Somebody you put on mm-hmm. the tape, grab the popcorn and sit back and just kind of enjoy and go, wow, he's, this guy's got a lot of gifts. And he's a better route runner than people give him credit for. I mean, he's he's got some stutter goes on tape. I think he had one against Michigan State. The other one might have been against Oregon, if I remember correctly, where, like, he just – he gives this little – just this little tap. And the people give him curl routes over and over again because they're so terrified of his speed. And then eventually he'll just give the little tap. DB's coming up because he's tired of giving up those seven, eight-yard gains. And then he just blows by him. I mean, his zero to 60 is really something special. Not the best in this class, just because there's some guys in this class that are like world-class sprinters, but in any other year, he might have the best acceleration out of anybody. And also, not to mention, his in-breaking routes, like, he is so smooth on posts. Like, I think you could realistically put him at X receiver and just be like, okay, go beat press, roll inside on the post, we're going to hit you over the middle for like free 15-yard gains because he's so smooth, he's so quick, he's so long so we can kind of separate at the top. We were talking about, the, uh, you mentioned his length, how he uses his length to give that little shove at the top so he can get that extra two to three yards. Uh, I, I really love him. I think I have him as like my sixth or seventh receiver in this class. Again, that's not a knock at all. That's just the, the realistic situation of what this class is in any other year guaranteed i think he's a first round pick especially because of that return versatility he's just unlucky enough to be in maybe the greatest receiving class ever so i (laughs) i'm totally with you on that one my guy similar kind of uh speed well maybe even more speed kj hamler from penn state i i think i could put him on before bed every night and and sleep well the rest of my life because his 
his acceleration, he eats cushion like nobody else in this class. And I am including Henry Ruggs in that. I think his acceleration, just pure stop to full speed, is better than anybody. I can't wait to see his 10-yard split in the 40 because I think it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Maybe not the most refined route runner compared to some other guys that fill his role, um, but in terms of just raw blow-your-face-off explosiveness, um, ball-tracking ability, he tracks the deep ball so well. He gives effort as a blocker. Like he, He's not just your normal you know, 5'9 receiver that just tries to get in the way. Like He actually tries to block. He's a complete football player. He's also got return versatility. Not not the same field vision and creativity as Ayuk, but he's got return versatility with that speed. I love KJ Hamler. I think he's he's probably one of the eight best receivers in this class. Certainly one of the most dynamic in this class. If he gets out of the second round, which is possible, dare I say probable, somebody's going to get a really good player in the third round that's going to completely transform their passing game. Yeah, guys like Hamler get pigeonholed because they're so good at one thing. Um, All through the lead-up to this draft process, you and I watched Hamler together yesterday, and all through the lead-up to this draft process, it's, oh, speed guy, Hamler. Get Hamler or Rager, you know, Jalen Rager. Get get Hamler, get Rager. Those are speed guys, speed guys. So we turn on this tape, and we expect to see wheels, right? We expect to see him running by people. We expect to see what I call easy speed, which is the ability to just – smoothly run by guys accelerate and just keep going we definitely saw that and the thing that really popped off tape immediately was the sort of electricity and by electricity i mean like electric motor and electric motor puts all the Mm -hmm. torque down available instantly that's why teslas go so fast right his zero to 60 and quite frankly his 60 to zero his ability to stop (laughs) as he's going down the field are almost equal it's crazy And then you see those couple of special teams uh, snaps that filter in in his Penn State tape. And they were actually low kicking to try and screw him up. So they're basically hard line squib kicking. So the ball would be bouncing at weird angles. And he snags it hands clean and does that zero to 60 electric acceleration. And you're like, wait a minute, what backup? Yeah, he had one against Idaho. He's like over over his shoulder against a spinning ball. And you're like, what? Yeah, he <laughs> snags it, turns 180, and turns on the Jets in, in about half a second. And, you know, he's 10 yards farther upfield than they think he's going to be, so the angles get screwed up. And anyways, yeah, he's a complete football player. He's a ton of fun to watch. He blocks. He puts effort in. He understands routes. He might not run the best routes. In fact, I'm definitely not going to say he runs the best routes in this class. But his acceleration, his hands, his understanding of the deep ball, his ability to op- be able to open and get deep, the the sort of in and go route is the route I want to see him do, or the out and go, either one. Because he sets guys up with these real little rolling 90-degree sort of breaks for ins or outs, and they buy it on his speed. And all he's got to do is turn that upfield mm-hmm. and they're done. There's no way they're going to catch him. And if some coach gets turned on to that, where he ends up, he's going to just eat free yards forever. And the respect that KJ Hamler gets on tape in terms of <laughs> defensive backs that are 12 yards off him and opening pre-snap They're literally opening their hips and starting to drool down the field pre-snap because they know he's coming. Mm 
and it like, still wasn't a, enough. It, I know, he still runs enough. by him. That cushion-eating ability you talked about is right there. And he's like, go ahead, back up. I'll, I'll take it all. And he takes it all and then some. And that's I absolutely am completely on board with you there, that he is a giggle-inducing player and, and a good one to watch before bed. And it actually rolls into our last category really nicely. We're going to talk about our favorite fit. And that's either a player who fits in a particular system uh, that we want to see fill a particular role in an offense we like, or maybe a fit with a team. It can be that specific. And my guy, strangely enough, is KJ Hamler to the Bears because the Bears just cut Taylor Gabriel. They did not have what I call can opener speed last year with that guy that could get deep, stretch defenses, and quite frankly, just back off linebackers and safety. So you give a guy like David Montgomery more running room and Hamler is such a fit for Chicago in terms of his return ability, his physical nature, that crazy top end speed and ability to track the deep ball very, very well. Don't worry about who the quarterback is. They'll sort that out. He's going to be able to help their offense open up that space underneath. They're going to bring in some more tight ends, um, really use those sort of internal breaking routes in the space that a guy like Hamler creates. So I think he's a perfect fit for the Chicago offense. And I think he's a perfect fit because let's just theorize and say that Mitch is the starter. He's a good he's a good guy for Mitch to have because he alters the way you play defense, and I think he can legitimately relieve pressure on Mitch. Uh, if if you give, I mean, Mitch has a really good arm. People don't realize this. Like his arm is is top tier. Like he's got tons of gas. If you give him a guy like K.J. Hamler, let's say they're dropping safeties down in the box and you're single high, and let's say they're, they're rotating over to, to Robinson, and you've got a one-on-one with Hamler where there's nobody left in the middle of the field or there's nobody in the other deep third, and he can just lead it and say, go get it, K.J., like, that's, a, that's the kind of receiver that can help Mitch get his career back on track just because he's got a weapon that can, that can make him look good and he certainly made that Penn State quarterback look better than he was I think if he can do and that that's hard to do <laughs> and that's hard to do because that oh yeah we won't get into him but he was he's not the best passer and I think if he can do that for Penn State he can certainly do that for the Bears not to mention like you said they just need speed like they just need flat out speed to make this offense go and uh, I, I I couldn't imagine a better use of let's say they trade down in the second round because they don't have a third-round pick. I can't imagine a better use for a, an early third-round pick after a trade down than K.J. Hamler. That is unbelievably perfect fit. I, 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 mine, by the way, it's a guy we've already talked about, speaking of guys we've already talked about. Different role, different body type, just as desperate. The Bills need a big receiver. And so I'm going with Denzel Mims, one of my favorite big receivers. Again, he will help the quarterback become what you hope he can be because so many times you watch Josh Allen last year where you're like god if he just had a guy who could win on a contested ball if he had a guy with a good catch radius that wasn't named Dawson Knox who had a ridiculous number of drops last year by the way uh, his drop rate was just it was like seven and a half percent which is huge um you know if you just give him a big body that can catch that can muscle corners that can just kind of just be that alpha dog at X receiver that they really don't have. They have John Brown, speed threat. They have Cole Beasley, classic slot receiver. They have Knox, 
undersized but athletic move tight end. They have Singletary, really good running back. I think he's a versatile piece, but they don't have that big dominant X receiver. And again, this is this is Mims, a guy who I don't think is going to go in the first round, but very easily could go early two. And so if Buffalo just packages a pick and gets up there and goes goes to get Denzel Mims, I mean, he's a starting receiver for them for a decade. He fits the culture. He fits what they need. And it just goes back to the point about we're not talking about pure talent. We're talking about fit. That is a fit. That is a perfect fit, not for player, not for quarterback, not for coach, but for everyone and I, I almost envision him in a Bills jersey every time I talk about him because I can't think of a better team that he could go to. Yeah, it's so funny that teams like the Bills um, and, you know, in a typical year, everybody knows what the Bills need, right? This year, everybody knows that the Bills need a big alpha wide receiver to go down the field and win balls. A lot of times in a draft, there's one of those guys in the top two rounds discussion or there's two of those guys in the top three round discussion and whenever their name comes up if they haven't been picked everybody's like we've got to get them before buffalo because buffalo is going to go get them right that's what buffalo needs this year buffalo can sit back and if somebody takes mims really early because he's the apple of their eye they can sit back and get a guy and i'm going to throw another name out there t higgins right mm. i would giggle myself to the bank to see Josh Allen whipping deep balls to T Higgins because T Higgins is just that he is one of the best climb the ladder guys in this draft, go up and get it, go down the sideline, win, own the ball, contest it or not. He is tremendous at that. He did it all year for Clemson. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people compare him to AJ green. I'm like, you know what? I could see that. (laughs) I really can. Absolutely. And, and you know, either one, they could do that, and there's other guys, right? Yeah. There's later on if they wait, they could go get Antonio Gandy Goldman, who's a not guy we haven't even brought up from Liberty, who was at the Senior Bowl. He's six four, two twenty, showed pretty good routes and got down the field and won the ball. Like the Bills are in the catbird seat, right? If you need a receiver this year, you are sitting pretty. You can get him in round one, round two, round three, round four. <laughs> like it just doesn't matter. You can go get a really good wide receiver this year. So uh, the fit question is fascinating, and it's really interesting to think about where all these guys are going to pan out for so many reasons. You mentioned fantasy for fit, for offensive, just pure popcorn entertainment. Like this wide receiver class is going to provide you know, yards, touchdowns, offensive firepower, entertainment in the NFL for years and years to come. And the best part is we went through, what, eight of them today, and there's still another 25 that we have to talk about between now and April. Like, we're just getting started, and we are, we're already talking about 45 minutes just on eight guys in this class. Ugh. I, I can't I can't wait. These, these next few months are going to be fun. This next week is going to be fun. We're going to see all these guys run at the Combine, uh, and I, I – you talk about popcorn entertainment. If if you don't have a beer open in front of you while KJ Hamler and Jalen Rager and and Rugs are running their forties, I mean that that is primetime entertainment right there. I mean, woo! I I I'm I've not been more excited for a combine in years just because I think we're legitimately going to see some records broken. This is the greatest collection of athletes to enter the league in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, stuff like over-under prop bets on 40 times are usually for the, you know, completely inveterate NFL gambler, right? If you're betting on the draft, 
things are typically pretty bad, but I saw about two weeks ago that the over under on uh, Henry Ruggs's 40 time was four, three, eight. And I just about <laughs> ran to my local ATM because I was like, that's free money. I'm not a guy that gambles a lot, but I was like, that's free money. Unless Henry Ruggs like loses a shoe or blows a hamstring, he's going to cruise by four, three, eight. And, you know, I, people are talking about him as being a possible, you know, mid four two low four two guy and you know guys like hamler i think have a chance to be just that quick jalen rager's another one there's a ton of speed merchants some of the big guys are going to run astounding times guys that are six four two fifteen are going to blow off like low four fours and that's staggering considering their catch radius so lots of good times coming this next week i'll just say this one final note before we wrap this up Talked to a scout at the Senior Bowl who told me last year, uh, Ruggs hand-timed at Alabama 419. Yep, that's the rumor. The rumor is that he's a possible 4-1 guy. I think that that's sort of an idealized time. I would, trust me, I would love to see Ruggs run 419 and just break draft Twitter. That would be amazing. But, uh, you know, I think in Indianapolis, things tend to even out a little bit. But even if he quote unquote runs a slow four two four right yeah that's crazy fast uh it's it's just tremendous we're gonna see a lot of fun stuff in the combine but um i've got a much more important question for you what's that how'd that highland park treat you oh man i you were right when you were telling me about the finish on this thing like it it builds and then it just mellows out and you just feel warm and comfortable. It's a good thing we're doing this in February because, oh, I can't think of a better thing to drink on a winter's night. This is just so comforting. It's got a little bit of that spice you expect from a Highland Park. Really fruity nose, but it, it it's not aggressive at all. It's like, it's, it's like you're just eating a, a nice fresh baked cookie in your mom's kitchen growing up on a cold night. Oh, I love it so much. I think I got to have some of your mom's cookies. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, but the finish on that is you, it builds and you expect that sort of burn you're going to get from, from some scotches and it just builds into this warmth and all the notes kind of hit it once, um, which is, is interesting and, and fascinating. If you're into notes and scotch, it's, it's an interesting thing to do. Um, Pendleton midnight, I would say is much more expected. If you like Pendleton, it's, uh, it's very solid and you add the midnight finishing to it, which is again, aging in brandy casks. It adds a really nice caramely note, but it's not overly sweet. Still has a little bite of bourbon, but it's great in balance and, um, yeah, lovely, lovely stuff. So let's roll ourselves out of here. Shall we? Yeah. Cause I still got more of this Highland park to finish. And, uh, I, I got, I got plenty more scotch to finish to be honest. I got a whole cabinet full. So, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, expect a lot more of these coming in the future, especially on the receiver class. we got one coming up on the edge class, free agent quarterbacks. A lot more to talk about here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. We will see you next time.